Hey there, thanks for joining our church family at the cross. We pray that this message speaks to your soul and brings you many blessings. We want to take a second and make sure you stay up to date on all things the cross. So please head over to our website, thecross.family. Here is where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our ministries, and get plugged in. Okay, here's the latest message from the cross church. Good morning, church. How are we doing today, huh? So good. Thank you, Sidge. So good. My name's Chris. Some of you know me. I'm the healing minister here at the cross. I want to welcome each and every one of you. I want to thank you for bringing the church into this room with you this morning. Um, I am excited and honored to be able to bring our message this morning on this beautiful Transformation Sunday, right? That's like, there you go. That deserves a couple woo-hoos, I think. Oh, <laughs> there's a couple woo-hoos. Speaking of transformation, the Bauman's life has just been transformed. They have a new human uh, in their house, which is awesome. Another Levi has entered the fold. So, uh, so good and uh, just a, a blessing to them. And so I know they're watching online. Hi, guys. Um, and little Levi's getting his first church service right now, which is awesome. Transformation is something that we are passionate about here at the cross. And we fully believe that Jesus is the one that makes transformation possible. Life transformation is the crux of our vision here at the cross. So here's our vision. It says, we exist to magnify Jesus through preaching, teaching, and healing, leading to life transformation. So what this means is that we magnify the name of Jesus in this house. And we do this the same way that Jesus did it. He went through preaching the gospel and teaching the word and healing the broken. And when we do that, lives will be transformed. So if you call this church your home, you will hear God's word on a Sunday morning. You will join and maybe one day lead a small group. You will attend and maybe one day lead a Bible study in the week. And you will find healing for your hurts and you will serve others in some capacity. And if you do those things, after some time, you will look and feel different. You will be transformed. You should not look the same. When you first come into this church, a year later, you should not look the same. You should be transformed. And that's for everyone. That is our, our children and our incredible children's ministry. That is for our youth on Wednesdays. And yes, even us dusty old adults. Us too. We are constantly being transformed into the image of our Savior, no matter what stage of life you are at. And we have to understand that because there are some of us in this room that feel that we have more yesterdays than we will have tomorrows. And understand that no matter what life stage you are at, you are constantly being transformed. God is not done. Every one of us is a work in progress. And so today, we're going to focus on this process of transformation, which means we're going to have to talk about change. The process of the old becoming new, moving from death to life, moving from a sinner to a saint, and witnessing graves turning into gardens like we sang about earlier. But before we talk about transformation, we first just have to talk about change. And we need to acknowledge that even just simple change can be extremely hard. Uh, recently, my wife, uh, beautiful wife who's sitting right over here, we just celebrated 12 years yesterday, married, it's awesome. No kids. We're like, what do we do? We had no idea. We just looked at each other for a while. We're like, it's cool. And then we went to dinner. It was awesome. It was amazing. Um, and that was it. <clears throat> it was so good. Uh, recently, she had just moved uh, the silverware in a drawer and actually like reorganized the kitchen. And it's better. I mean, it makes way more sense now, like where everything is, right? But she moved some stuff. And I'm, I'm still going to a drawer looking for a spoon. And I'm like, scissors. And it's been like three months. 
and I'm still looking in the wrong drawer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Just simple change is hard. Right? You ever like go to the grocery store and then they've like, like moved or they've renovated and like you just keep going to the aisle. You're like, man, this is where it was, it was always here. And you just, you just keep getting stuck. You're like, man, why did they move it? Didn't they know that I like where it is? Look, m- most of you come to church and, and you sit in the same seat every Sunday or near it. And if someone's in your seat, you're not happy. That's okay. It's all right. There's grace for that. There's grace for that. Uh, you park in the same spot at work or here or near it. Again, someone in your spot, you're not happy. That's all right. We, we don't like that. We are, we are creatures of habit. Uh, many of us in this room are just classically conditioned, right? So you remember classically conditioned. I uh, remember Ivan Pavlov, the old scientist, right? He had the dogs and he, he paired the food with the ringing of the bell and, you know, they would salivate eventually. All he had to do was ring the bell and they would salivate, right? Because he paired it with the food. My favorite version of this you can find on YouTube uh, was like a college student. Had, was it like in a psychology class? And he had to do, like film a classical conditioning experiment, and it's amazing, and it's kind of cruel, but it's still really funny. He, uh, he had his college roommate, and what he did is he, he videotaped this. He would, at like 3.34 in the morning, alarm would go off, lights would come off, and he would take a Nerf ball and just rifle it at his head while he was sleeping. That's mean. It's funny, though. Um, and so, it's okay. So he does this three, four, five nights, right? Just the alarm goes off, the lights come on, boom, Nerf ball in the face, right? By the fifth night, Alarm goes off, lights come up, dead asleep. Roommate does this. Oh, he knows. He knows the Nerf ball is coming. It can be incredibly hard. Okay, so here's something I want us to do just to show how much your brains don't like change. Uh, I do this experiment a lot. We've done it on, on Friday nights. I do it when I, when I work with people at, at the treatment center. Uh, I, I do it a lot with families. When I want to explain why would somebody go back to the insanity of their addiction when it's killing them, and I tell them it's because it's comfortable. And they, they don't understand that. And I go, well, they're comfortable with the chaos that they're used to living in. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to take your hands and just interlock them together, like the way you know how to do it, right? So good, right? So you got this. Okay, so now I want you to undo it, right? And now I want you to close your eyes and do it. Just, just boom, right? You can do it. Perfect. Now hold it right there, okay? So this is good. I'm going to give some weight on the Lord. Right? Just, just wait. Just keep doing this. Uh, what I love about this is the new person walks in right now. They're like, man, this church prays. You know what I mean? <laughs> They are serious about prayer. All right, so here's what you're going to do. You're just going to interlock your fingers over by one. That's it. And then hold it. Don't move it back. You got it? Just hold it. Just hold it there. There you go. You're good. Don't try to move it back. Right? It's not going to work if you don't do this. Just hold it. I tell people sometimes to go to a 12-step meeting and just do this. Don't you know the share? Just do this for the first, I don't know, month or two. It feels a little strange. Don't undo it. I'm watching you. I gave some directions on Friday. It went south. It was really funny. We're not good at directions. This is why in the Bible we're referred to as sheep, and that's not a compliment. It's okay. Look. <clears throat> All right, so just keep, keep it like this. Now, it's, it's a little awkward, right? It's a little different. It's like when you're dating somebody for the first time, and you're like, my hand goes on top, your hand goes on the bottom. It's weird. So that's a negotiation right there. Right, this is, it's a little strange, but it's not really painful maybe, but it's a little uncomfortable, right? It's a little different. This is the smallest change you can make, and right now your brain's going, I don't like this. <laughs> this is not how we hold our hands. I don't know what we're doing this for, why are we still doing this? A lot of you stopped. I get it. No, see, you don't even like it enough. You stop. Here's the thing. If you've been doing it this whole time, go back. Oh. Mm. Like a comfortable pair of jeans. If I could show you your brain, like serotonin and dopamine just went to your brain. You like it. Your brain doesn't like to do change. It just doesn't like change. It's fair to say that even simple change can be hard. 
And so a good next question is, how do we change? And if we're honest, there are many of us in this room that maybe don't believe that real change is even possible. And that is why as a culture we have sayings like, a tiger never changes its stripes. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Old habits die hard. And it's within this context that we're going to talk about transformation? Are you kidding? By definition, transformation is a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. For something to transform, it must change to a point where the old is no longer recognizable. Yet even though transformation may be difficult, uh, we need to be honest, we love it. We absolutely love it. And we are kind of obsessed with it, right? This is why we have these gigantic warehouses. You've seen them, Home Depot and Lowe's. We love renovating things. We love fixing things. There's an entire channel dedicated to this with all the shows, Extreme Home Makeover, This Old House, Fixer Upper, Love It or List It, Flip or Flop, 100 Day Dream Home, Master or Flip, and Rehab Addict, which is my favorite. It has nothing to do with rehab or addicts, but it's a rehab addict. <laughs> and the good news for us is that we have a savior who is also a carpenter, and the renovation project is us. I want to take some time this morning and look at a portion of scripture that is as fascinating as it is strange. This story is a bit of a blink and you will miss it type of story, uh, but the ramifications for us are massive. And I'm talking about the transfiguration of Jesus. Webster's Dictionary defines the word transfiguration as a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. So let's dive into this scripture, unpack a little bit what's happening. Uh, this account is found in three of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are considered the synoptic gospels, like a synopsis, meaning that they are very similar stories. They're told in a very similar order and sequence. And so I'm going to read this account found in Luke, Luke 9, 28 through 36. About eight days after Jesus had said this, and let me just stop right there. <laughs> i got to stop right out of the gate. The other two uh, gospel accounts say six days. So like right out the gate, I, so I love this. I say this a lot. Pastor Mark and I talk about this a lot. The reason I know the Bible's true is because it could use an editor, right? Like I would have fixed that. I would have made them all say the same thing, right? Uh, but so it's eight days. So do they, are they not counting the two days on the end? Why? So then the other two say six, but you deal with this all the time where you're like, well, it happened like a week ago, but you really mean like five days ago. To me, that tells me that it's true. So at uh, eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on the mountain to pray. So quick, the first thing we have to ask is, after Jesus said what? <laughs> like Jesus said what? Like after Jesus said what? And why these three men? So we're going we're to get into it. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. I love this. We're going to come back to it. Peter is my favorite. Uh, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. 
A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. Okay, so it is impossible to appreciate what's going on with the transfiguration unless you are consciously factoring in the reality that this remarkable scene takes place a few days, six days, eight days, uh, after Jesus had for the very first time told his disciples he was going to die. (laughs) He tells his disciples he's going to die. So let's read that scripture, Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So when Jesus tells his disciples he's going to die, they are offended, they are upset, they are anxious, they are scared, they are worried, they're confused. This doesn't make sense. And so then Peter, I love this, so then in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, which, okay, let's just get real. Like, that's not a good move, right? You don't rebuke Jesus, but okay, good good job, Peter. He says, never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen. I feel like the way this went down was like all the disciples, and then Jesus is like, listen, I'm going to die to fulfill the thing. And Peter's like, can I have a word? You know, and just grabs him, and he's like, what are you doing? They don't get this. Like, you're not going to, you're going to die? What are you saying? Ugh. Right? I mean, just, just feel like it's this moment, like the press secretary pops in, is like, that's a bad look. Don't say this. And then this is where we get Jesus. This is the famous scripture. So now you have the real context. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You, do, you have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concern. <laughs> get behind me, Satan. Like, don't sugarcoat it, Jesus. Then Jesus turns, he says to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is the conversation that happened a week before the transfiguration, right? So when it said, after Jesus had said this, this is the this that we're talking about. Jesus goes, I'm gonna die. This whole thing happens Get behind me, Satan, take up your cross and walk. And it's eight days later that we get to the transfiguration. It's also important to realize that the transfiguration is about three years into a three and a half year ministry. And so these very same disciples have seen Jesus perform miracles. They have cast out demons in his name. They had a very tangible and a palpable, objectively true understanding of his power and the reality of who Jesus was. And yet, they hear about him needing to die, and it it staggers them. It knocks them off their seat. And the disciples begin to wonder, is, is he really the Messiah? Doubt starts to creep in. This is not the change that they had in mind. So why this event, and why these three men? So Jesus took the three most influential apostles, Peter, James, and John, and took them on to the mountains away from the other apostles. This is just a really good leadership move, but I don't need everybody to get it, but I need my leaders to get it, right? I need my main people to understand it, and then they will tell everybody else as to why this is going down. Uh, Total sidebar here that I just have to put in here, James, I love this. Can you imagine being James, the brother of Jesus, right? Like, that's a tough deal, right? 
That's your, that's your brother? Like, can you imagine coming home with a report card? Like, I got an A. And they're like, that's great. And Jesus is like, I am A. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. But it's good, James. We're really proud of you. Right? It's really good. I feel like it's the first time his name was used in vain. Like, James is going off to a room. He's like, Jesus, God. And it's like not even a swear. It's just he's saying Jesus, God. But anyway, that's complete, literally just for me. That's literally just for me. Okay. Uh, the whole purpose of this experience around this transfiguration is to reinforce the faith of Peter and James and John so that they will be able to help the other remaining apostles with their faith because they're all struggling with this idea that Jesus is going to die. Again, Jesus dying was not the change that they had in mind. And we can infer this because when Jesus and Peter and James and John come off of the mountain, they run into the other apostles and they're trying to drive a demon out of a man. And it's unsuccessful. They can't do the exorcism. And when they ask why it's not working, Jesus said it's because of their lack of faith. So for Peter, the days leading up to this transfiguration have been an absolute roller coaster ride. Like one minute he's declaring, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And the next minute Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. And now Peter suddenly finds himself on a mountain with a transfigured, radiated Jesus conversing with Moses and Elijah. Understandably, Peter does not know what to say. I don't think any of us would know what to say, and they are terrified. He didn't know what to do. Of course, it didn't stop him from saying anything, because then he just kind of went weird, but we'll get into that. He gets a glimpse of majesty and, and the glory, just a glimpse of it for a minute. Peter just sees, and he's absolutely stunned, right? He's in awe absolute awe of what he is seeing. That's a word that we've destroyed, by the way. Awesome, right? We say everything, like, that's awesome. Man, oh, that's so awesome. Awesome, man. That's awesome. Everything's awesome. You know what's not awesome anymore? The word awesome. Just it literally doesn't mean anything. It should mean like awe. Like I'm, see, I'm in awe. Like everything is awesome. No, it's not. It's not. You're not, I'm not, none of us are awesome. I'm a motivational speaker, by the way, too. So you're not awesome, I'm not awesome, I'm done. See you guys. We've destroyed this word. What does awesome even mean? We, we just recently went, uh, my whole family and I went out west. And we're out in Arches National Park. And we're looking, and, and you're just like, oh, and that's awesome, right? And, and in those moments, you're like, I am a speck on a speck on a speck. I am a piece of dust. I am a vapor. I mean nothing. Like this world is so vast. We think we're so important. You go to the beach once, you get taken out by a wave. You have nothing. You're nothing, right? One, one little wave, like pink, and you're done, right? Awesome is looking at God's creation, everything that God has made in, in glory. I don't think we have a context for this. We think everything is awesome now, and it's not. The glory of God is awesome, and it stuns Peter to his core for a couple minutes. Now, I'm going to be a bit of a cliche here of, you know, any time someone gets up in church and then quotes C.S. Lewis, you know, it's just like, but I've got to quote C.S. Lewis because it's really good. Uh, he's got a really, really great quote here uh, in a book called The Weight of Glory. Read this book. Really understanding what are we talking about when we're talking about glory? What does that actually look like? And I think we struggle in our context to know what that is. So I'm going to read this C.S. Lewis quote from The Weight of Glory. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Now, notice that's lowercase. 
to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. So let me just stop there, right? So just somebody you would listen to, as soon as they start talking, you're, you're out, right? Boring. On the other side of glory, you might be tempted to, you'd be like, this is unbelievable. Let me keep going. Or else, a horror and a corruption such as you may now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these possible destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with awe and the circumspection, which means prudence, like taking very uh, wary of taking risks proper to them, that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, whom we work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. What Lewis is saying here is that each and every one of us is eventually an immortal horror or an everlasting splendor. Just think about that for a second. That if, that if you were to see one another in our splendor, in our glory, we may be tempted to worship each other because we are, we are called and created to worship. And it's hard to imagine what a glorified person would look like. And yet, Peter, James, and John got a front row seat and saw Moses, Elijah, and Jesus in their full glorified splendor. The presence of Moses and Elijah in this story is one of the most fascinating features of the entire story. Where else in the New Testament do you just get these two Old Testament heroes showing up? Right? And I don't have the time to unpack who Moses and Elijah are here. And if you don't know, get into a Bible study and understand it. This is going to fall flat, but it'd be like if you're a Star Trek fan and all of a sudden there's Picard and then all of a sudden, boom, Kirk and Spock walk in. You're like, what? Now, I realize in that Picard's Jesus and that got weird and that, doesn't, that falls flat, but just read the Bible. It's way better. Um, okay. I, I love that Peter is also in such a daze seeing Moses and Elijah speaking with a glorified Jesus. It's like they're around the water cooler in glory, just like, yeah, so yeah, crucifixion, huh? It's coming up. I mean, it's just this weird moment, and Peter is, is watching the whole thing, and then he kind of wakes up. It's kind of weird. It's a, a bit of a hint of the Garden of Gethsemane where they all fall asleep, which, if we're honest, sleep is a way to escape, right? And, and this whole thing, they're just trying to sleep through it, and then they wake up, and he's startled, and he doesn't really know what he's seeing, and then the first thing he suggests building is like three shelters for each of them. It's like a weird flex, right? Like, what is that? Again, another thing that I, I look at and I go, so the Bible's true, because why would you leave that in there? It's so weird. He just wakes up. He's like, oh, we should make houses here, three of them, right? What are you doing? Peter, get a grip. And yet, as odd as that is, maybe it's not that odd. Maybe just that taste of glory. He goes, I want to build my home here. I want to live here. And then suddenly, in a moment, reminiscent of Jesus' baptism, a voice from heaven came to Peter. Peter, it's time to listen to Jesus. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And this is the 
consistent call that God gives us at all times to all people in all places. God's word is alive and active today through scripture as it was when Peter heard it on the Mount of Transfiguration. Here's Peter's account of what happened. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we were told about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that, right? That, that Jesus couldn't have been created, right? He couldn't have been put together by a committee, right? That he wasn't an invention. And he's going, we, we didn't just follow these cleverly put together stories. This isn't just fables and legends, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven and went when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter had risen to incredible heights, declaring the true identity of the man who called him to be a fisher of men. And then he would fall to depths when he would deny Jesus not once, but three times. And he would say, you are, you get behind me, get behind me, Satan. Peter's story, man, I relate to Peter's story. He's all over the place. Give him a paragraph, he's going to mess it up. I love that. That's me. The beauty of Peter's story is that he would fall even further and he would rise even higher. When Jesus came back and reinstates him and he says, no, I said that you are a fisher of men. Now go build my church. Go and build my church. Peter's story is a story of transformation. It is a story of transformation. And this transformation only happens because he encounters Jesus. That's it. When we read our Bibles, we have this opportunity to get that same glimpse of majesty and experience the same foretaste of glory as Peter and John and James did. It's unbelievable. And it's interesting to me that John, who was there, doesn't mention this in his gospel. He's there. And maybe he does mention it, but in, in a verse. John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We serve a God that created the very act of transformation. Transformation was his idea. And that death on this side of glory is not the end. Like C.S. Lewis says, all day long, in some degree, we are helping each other to one or one of these other destinations. Each and every one of us in this room right now, we stand on the precipice of eternity. We, have, we don't know what's going to happen later today. We stand on the precipice of eternity. And if we could truly, truly sit and understand that, well, it would change our outlook on, on everything, our relationships, how we pray, what we do. We stand on that precipice. And so all cards on the table if you're hearing my voice 100%, I want you to be a Christian. I do. I'm just, no bones about it. But not like some generic, join the Christian club and put on a, like a cross patch. It's not, I mean, it's, this isn't even like a join the church. This is follow Jesus. This is an invitation to follow Jesus. Because I know the destination that I want you to head towards. I know that destination. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about everlasting life. We're talking about glory. 
getting to a point where we can go, yeah, yeah, heaven, man, it's awesome. And then we go, yeah, there's this other place, but it's all right, we'll see you next Sunday. All right, woo, good. We stand on the precipice of eternity. Do you know where you're going? Don't rest and rest that is not your own. This is a big deal. And the disciples knew this. And every day they did what they could do to live their lives to get people to say, Jesus is who he said that he is. Look, I know there are people in this room right now don't have a relationship with Jesus, don't care to have a relationship with Jesus, maybe don't believe in any of it, go, it's all fairy tales and fables and it's all nonsense and it doesn't matter, it's all not real. Okay, I, I thought that too. There was a point where I thought that. I was like, man, this is a joke. Man, look at look what's all these things that are done in the name of Christ. Man, they're, it, they're, there's a place here in Mount Dora you could drive, I don't say, but there's like an intersection. There's like three churches on each corner, three different denominations. I think people look at that and go, you don't even know what you believe. Y'all can't make up your own mind, right? It's confusing and it's tough. It's really, really, really simple. Let me make it really simple. This is the only question you have to wrestle with. Is Jesus who he said that he was? That's it. Is Jesus who he said that he was? And if the answer to that is yes, come on. But the answer to that question has major ramifications for our lives. We're talking about transformation. And it's only possible through Jesus. I said earlier that I celebrated yesterday 12 years with my beautiful wife. And uh, I was looking at pictures and I was like, man, that little boy... <laughs> He's so scared. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. And I did about everything you could do to, to ruin that marriage, to destroy everything. I don't deserve the wife I have, the children I have, where I live, the job that I have. I don't deserve any of it. Now, I know some of you go, you see the guy, you're like, nice suit jacket. And he's up here and he's talking about Jesus and he's got his life together. I didn't. I didn't. The only thing I had to answer was this question, are you who you say that you are? My life was a mess. And God first gave me the gift of desperation. The gift of desperation where I was like, I don't, I'm at the end of my rope. And he's like, I've got a rope you can hold on to. <laughs> Here's a rope you can hold on to. And you can, you can put your full weight on this rope. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust it. He's like, well, you've been, how's it going so far with you? With everything you've been doing. <laughs> it's not good. You know that. I could put my full weight on the rope and trust Jesus, that he gave me that gift of desperation. And then he gives you the gift of transformation, that your life can be transformed. There's no reason I should even be up here. There's no reason. God takes loud mouths and he makes them his mouthpiece. That's what happens. That's what happens. It's happened to me. He's like, you're funny. Come on. <laughs> That's what he did with me. Is Jesus who he said that he is? And if that answer is yes, and you feel it in your heart, and even if it's a small whisper, yes, it's still a yes. There are men and women and children that are going to get into the water after this service that are going to be baptized, that they will come up a new creation. Let me demystify and despiritualize some of this. We joke some of this. When people come out of the water, the first thing we should do is just probably just pump, punch them in the mouth. Go, it's going to get tough. It's going to get tough right now. It doesn't mean that you never mess up again. It doesn't mean that you never sin again. It's not what it means. So some people go, so I go in the water, I come out, I'm a new creation. Like, what does that even mean? That's a, that's a joke. I'm just getting wet. 
No, that's not what it means. You're saying all I know of myself towards all I know of him. All I know of myself towards all I know of him is Jesus who he said that he is. The answer to that question, full, all cards in, all chips on the table is yes. Yes, he is. These disciples saw it firsthand, a glorified Jesus. That on this life, we can have life transformation, but then in glory, transfiguration. We will be there with everyone that we love. In glory, there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more pain, no more tears. We can't even understand. Is Jesus who he said that he is? That's the question. And if the answer for you right now is, I'm just not sure, I don't know, I don't know, keep asking those questions. Keep coming. It is true. The answer is yes. And then if you say, yes, and I'm going to get baptized, and this is what I'm going to do, then I don't know what to do. I don't have any friends that are Christians. Well, you're in a good place. You're at a church. That's good. You made it here once. You can do it again. Right? And then you're like, but I don't understand the Bible. You're like, well, we got Bible studies. We got that. We'll get that thing figured out for you too. You get into a Bible study. I don't have any community. Oh, you should get into a small group. We got small groups. Man, but if you knew my past, oh, come on Friday night. That's all good. You've got no excuse. <laughs> Nothing. If you are here right now, you are hearing my voice. You have breath in your lungs. It means God is not done with you. And the hound of heaven is gone. I got you. You're right here. Get in the water. And you're like, man, but I have church clothes on. I can't be, that's all right. We got towels and change of clothes. And you're like, I didn't come prepared for that. I know, that's all right. We got it. We put a man on the moon in the 60s, man. We can figure this out. We'll get you, we'll get you dressed. Come on. Is Jesus who he said that he is? The answer to that question in here emphatically is yes. Yes, he is. His goodness, his mercy, his grace. And so your next step, get in that water. Get into a study. Get into a church. Lock arms with somebody who's on mission for Jesus and watch as your life is transformed. Watch as your life is transformed. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share your word. God, I know that you're also laughing (laughs) that I'm up here. (laughs) And it's amazing and I love you. I'm so grateful for how you came down changed my life. You transformed my life. And I am forever grateful. It makes me hit my knees every morning. I don't deserve the things I have. I don't deserve the grace and the mercy in my life, but that is exactly what grace is. It is undeserved. There's nothing I could do to earn it. Can we receive this gift, Lord, as we are getting ready for Christmas? Can we just receive this gift of your grace in this space right now? God, you are the great renovator. It's what you do. Come down here and you renovate each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that we'd have the courage to hand over the plans to you. We'll give you the hammer. God, we gave you the nails. Lord, I'm so grateful that we get to do this. That we can lean into the truth of who you are and who you say that we are. I pray for all those today, Lord, who are taking that next step in their faith, who are being baptized. And Lord, I pray for everyone in this room who is wrestling with that question. Lord, I pray that you would say yes, loud enough to where they can hear it in their hearts. Holy Spirit, move. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and we place all of our hope. And together we say, 
Amen. Amen. So that's what we're going to do. The next step, we're just going to walk outside and we're going to have some baptisms. Uh, and so, you know, scripture says when, when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. So we're going to get out there. Someone's going to go in the water. They're going to come out and you're just going to be like, yes, yes. And some of you, man, you should be clapping harder at a baptism than you do for your team. You know what I mean? Come on. This is the team, right? Give, let me give you the, our benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next Sunday.